This episode of Behind the Glass Hunting is brought to you by Seek Outside. Anyone who has followed me over the last few years will know that I've used a Seek Outside backpack long before they were ever a sponsor of the show. I'm currently using the Fortress 4800 and it is killer. I've moved more game and other oddball loads in that backpack than I can remember. Seek Outside also makes some of the most badass shelters on the mountain. We are currently using the Silex, a single man trekking pole supported tent when solo or counting the ansels, and a Simron with a wood stove when the weather is a bit cooler or hunting with a partner. My friends at Seek Outside are offering listeners of this podcast free shipping on all orders if you use the code BTGH. That's BTGH, as in behind the glass hunting. Head on over to seekoutside.com for your next backpack or shelter purchase. G'day everybody. Uh, today's podcast, I'm joined by Andrew Van Vliet. He's a fellow member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers with me. He's out there in Region 4, West Kootenays, and he's a, he's a kick-ass advocate for BHA and conservation in British Columbia. He's doing some really cool stuff, and you hear about it in the podcast. Um, about halfway through the podcast, he's gave me a kick in the butt and reminded me... Um, about some books that I have. Uh, I have a box of Jim Pottswit's book, Beyond Fair Chase, which is a fantastic book about conservation and the use of wildlife and the habitat. And uh, those books are for me to distribute to anybody that's interested. Any BHA members, non-members, basically anybody that's interested in a good read and learning tomorrow about conservation is welcome to one of those books. So get a hold of me and get your copy today. Anyway, enjoy today's podcast with Andrew. And uh, as always, give us a like and a subscribe on wherever you find your podcast. Cheers, guys. You can prepare for everything that you can control, but that's not very much. My goal was just to hunt as hard as I could, as long as I could, at all costs. Better ask it, man. Speak for yourself. 28 and sunny, we're almost definitely going to have hikers on the trail, boys. I'm getting across that damn river and I'm getting after those goats. Let's go. We're hunting. We're going after something. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today I'm joined by a friend of mine, Andrew Van Vliet from Trail BC. How are you, Andrew? Good. That's Good. Like- Good. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for jumping on with me. I, don't, I think you've connected the dots when we've emailed in the past, but I actually know your younger brother. Yes. Who you look nothing alike, by the way. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised if I shaved it. We'd probably look a lot more similar. Oh, no, you do. You guys are basically twins. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how'd you get out to trail and how come he's in the Fraser Valley? What's going on there? Uh, so that's where, that's where I was uh, born and bred in the Lower Mainland. Yeah. Um, grew up in Surrey mean streets of surrey and um and after uh after school i was looking for uh a place that i could find uh a good a good career and in 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 a location that uh kind of suited all what i was looking for outdoors lifestyle and so i uh i ended up in trail um yeah working at the uh the, the old ledzing smelter so um and and the west kootenays is uh, has got everything and and everything i need and 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 more so um 
and I think uh, I think my brother's Nick Nick's looking looking outwards eventually too. Is he? Uh, yeah, one Good day. Good for him. Good for him. Did you go out? Did you go out there with a family, or you found a family out there and met your wife out there, or what happened? Uh, yeah, almost almost a little bit of both. Um, sort of. Uh, I guess I brought my my wife along. Uh, I'd say I, I imported her. Um, we had just started dating uh, about mid mid year of my last university year. So um, and I and I already had the job lined up. So it was uh, it was kind of like a, I'm I'm headed out out this way. So you're welcome to come join me. And uh, yeah, the rest is sort of history from there. Never looked back, eh? Yeah, that was uh, 12 and a half years ago. Hot damn. I often, well, when I first came to Canada and the Fraser Valley, um, I complained about it a lot. I complained about the Fraser Valley and I was like, I want to go live in cooler parts of BC. Um, and it really only took, it took me until last year, maybe almost two years ago to to really like fall in love with Chilliwack and like the the mountains here. And there is just so much cool stuff in my backyard, but I, 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 it's not wasted on me how good BC is Yeah, beyond the Fraser Valley. If I could, there, I, I'd, I'd, I'd move. Yeah, there's there's so much right at everybody's back door and everywhere in BC. It's incredible. So yeah, yeah my parents just uh, just moved to your neck of the woods there too. They uh, moved out to Chilliwack? Uh, just across the river. So they're in Harrison Mills now. Oh, nice. Well, that's yeah. a good spot too. Yeah. And that's kind of like, it's, it's, you're almost on the edge of the Fraser Valley. I mean, you know, next stop's hope and, you know, then that's definitely the end of the Fraser Valley. Yeah. Then the mountains begin and all the fun, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you and I have uh, sort of worked together through the backcountry hunters and anglers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you've been involved a lot longer than I have, I think. I got involved... February 2017 for the first Region 2 event, which was uh, put on by Mark Robichard. And there was Mark and maybe 10 guys. And we got together at Browns for a pint night. Right. When did you get involved? Uh, I think I became a member around then too. Yeah, 2017, actually. Yeah, um, yeah a, little, a little story about finding out about BHA. So... Uh, driving home from work and I heard on the radio that there was going to be this presentation um, about uh, about finding an Iceman in BC and I was Mm -hmm. like wow that sounds really cool and so um, marked it on my calendar told my wife I said we're going this is this is going to be really cool and uh, the event got so big they had to move it from a small room to a large room and uh, to to a full-on theater and it was uh, it was pretty full. And uh, there was Bill Hanlon, who was uh, the founder of uh, the BC chapter of BHA, and uh, and is now uh, a North American uh, on the board of directors. And uh, he he talked about his his incredible backcountry adventure um, in in Tatshishini, uh, Alsek Provincial Park, and uh, and and basically stumbling. Uh, upon uh, an, an Iceman, which they think is about 400 years old, but he uh, he dropped uh, BHA in, in into the into the presentation a few times, and as soon as I got home, I I had to had to Google it up and uh, and I started reading what they were all about, and and I had a an aha moment, and that was that was what I was looking for, 
And so uh, I was all in and I started sending out emails and seeing how I could get involved. And at that time, um, they were like really just, they were really based in the East Kootenays and and were starting to make some inroads in some other regions in BC, but uh, it was really just before our our exponential growth in, in the province over the last couple of years. Yeah, when did they, well, I've heard Bill's uh, Iceman story and it's a heck of a story. If anybody hasn't heard that, they need to go and Google it, Bill Hamlin, the Iceman. It's a great story. When did the when did the East Kootenay chapter kick off? That was in, I, I, I want to say 2014. Yeah, I think that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Okay, so and and I know they crushed it for three years. Like they weren't laying there dormant. They were uh they were building relationships with um other groups locally, the guides locally and such. And then, yeah, so definitely. There's a there's a huge um, collaborative effort um, in the East Kootenays for sure. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of groups that are that are willing to work together and 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 push issues and and get some results. So um, they've been very successful there. Uh, lots of members in in that area, and they've always got something going on. So it's uh, it's it's really incredible, um, and and to see how that's grown across the province as well over the last few years, it's been it's been pretty cool. And then, so you you had how did that? How did you get involved? You became a member, but then how did how did it become that you are in the position you are now? I mean, you're the you're the chair for the West Kootenays, correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, we're basically broke, broken out into chapters or, or regional, regional chair groups um, based on the, on the, basically the regions, uh, hunting regions, fishing, angling regions. So, um, so region four is already broken up into two, um, primarily because we're just so geographically different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a huge area. Um and uh, you know, it's not something that that other people in BC don't know. There's those large distances between those those different uh, those centers. So, um, so it's 2018, I I believe. Uh, um, I wanted to to go to the AGM, so they were having their AGM um, outside of Cranbrook, and uh, they were having it at one of uh, like an old schoolhouse, and. Um, and so I, I, I talked to my wife and, and of course they're, they're in a different time zone. So, uh, I think the meeting started at six and, and I'm, and for us, that's five o'clock. So, and it's about a two and a half hour drive. Um, so I said, okay, we got to leave work a little early and we got to hustle to get over there. So, uh, we threw the dog in the, in the car and, and some of our camping gear. Cause they said we could, you could stay overnight there. So off we went, um, and then we pulled up. And we opened the door and I had never seen so many mosquitoes in all my life. Our car is white and it was gray almost instantly. (laughs) And my dog was white and it was also gray. So everybody was just beelining into the schoolhouse uh, for for the meeting and and hanging out there. Doesn't sound like it's a good camping situation. No, definitely not. (laughs) So yeah, so... We we set up the tent. Of course, we tried to minimize how how often we had the uh, the door open. And once we had it all zipped up, we definitely did a quick uh, uh, a thorough scan with the, with the flashlight to make sure we had everything. But uh, even driving home for the two and a half hours, my wife was slapping the windshield as the mosquitoes were going by. So that was uh, 
that was an interesting experience. But I, I showed up um, and yeah, I just wanted to get involved. There wasn't much going on in, in terms of BHA in my area. And so I wanted to, to you know, grow it, grow it where I, in my neck of the woods. So um, I just wanted to meet meet the, the folks over there and, and figure out what, how, to, how to get things going. And, um, you know, we, we were all kind of in the same boat because they wanted to grow as well. So, um, you know, brainstorming and, and connecting and networking. Um, so yeah, it was really just a, a want for wanting some, some BHA, um, ac activities, members and, and growth in, in the West Kootenai. So I, I just tried to take it upon myself. And I think that's really what one of the essences of BHA is, is it, it's grassroots. If you want to see something done, um, show up, um, start talking and networking and, uh, and, and, and make things happen. It's not a top down organization. It's, it's a bottom up. Um, they I have rely that conversation on... often. I have a lot of people asking me like, how do I get involved? How do I get involved? And I'm like, Hey, you just give me a call one day and sell me something cool. And boom, you're involved. Like we're doing stuff. Um, out here, I've got my mate, Eric, I've roped him in, got him pretty involved, but he topped on the this was actually funny. We got in a big argument about this. We got, he hopped on one of the, one of the zoom calls, the monthly zoom calls. And he called me afterwards and he was like, just had a ton of feedback for me. And it was, you know, he had a whole bunch of stuff to say and I had to like cool him down. I'm like, buddy, there's, there's, I don't know what you think you're getting into. It's not like this big infrastructure. Like this is out here in region two. It's like, you're talking to me and Jenny and like, that's about, that's all you got, man. Like, with, there's no big infrastructure there's no application process it's you're in you're in dude and it was uh it was a cool for him it was an aha moment he's like i get it yeah it's totally grassroots yeah yeah and that's what i love about it if you if you want to do something you want to see something done go forth and do it and you'll have you'll have the support of the organization for sure you'll have you'll have people telling you how they got things done in their area and how they went about it and uh and that doesn't just go for bc um, we've got chapter leader calls, um, it's North American wide. So we get to hear about best practices from, from all over the States. I think they've got the States pretty much covered off now in chapters. So you're, you're hearing about what Colorado is doing and what, uh, Wyoming's doing and what Nevada's doing. So, um, we're not just trying to reinvent the wheel ourselves. We've got this, uh, this huge network of, of people that are willing to share their successes um of growing a conservation organization uh what 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 one of the fastest uh growing conservation um organizations in north america if not if not the world so um, one thing that i really appreciate is that i'm constantly offered um training and further education through the organization which i've constantly turned down just due to having a young family and i can never make it work but um, I, I really appreciate that. Like, you don't know how to run a chapter. We'll, we'll show you how to run a chapter. And that's a really cool thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of information, seminars, uh, webinars, um, online materials, handbooks, manuals, best practices. Yeah. It's really, it's super supportive. Um, you don't feel like you're adrift, adrift in the sea in a, in a little boat all by yourself for sure you're you're very well supported and uh that that's what i like about it too so it's not it's not as scary as you think it's going to be um once you dive in 
Um, but uh, your and and your success is based on how much support you get. So it's uh, yeah, it's been it's been really really fun. Uh, how do you find bridging the um, the the communic not the communication but the um, the misconception uh, between America and Canada? I mean, in the U.S., the big mandate is public land. Whereas up here, it's a slightly different tone, but it's similar. Would you agree? Yeah, it it, it, it is a little bit different. The the rallying cry is public landowner and, and mm-hmm. the voice for public lands. Um, yeah, of course, Canada with the crown land system that's managed provincially, not federally. Um, we we have a bit of a different just a slightly different perspective. I think we're, we're more the voice for wild places is what, what we're sort of our, our advocate. And that's how I, um, I frame it. So um, trying to protect the, the, the habitat and the wild places where, where we like to go to connect um, with, with, with the wild out there. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I haven't had a lot of conversations. I think a lot of people, um, they get it. Um, and, and the other big perspective I think that we have is that we're not the local rotting gun club. We're not just focused on one little area We're we're all over BC. So we have provincial wide initiatives, regional initiatives and, and, and very specific locale initiatives. So, um, as well as North American too, we have North American wide policies on, on, um, on many issues so it's uh yeah so i i don't think it's it's been too hard to to sort of spin it into a canadian flavor and uh we're continuing to work on it as well um as as canada continues to to expand we've got some more chapters in the works in in the future we're just trying to get our ducks in the row in terms of uh getting more canadian specific um, infrastructure in terms of websites and memberships so that we're all on the same page similar to the parent bha.org website is yeah is like you want to talk before we get into some of your specific projects that you're working on why don't we talk about how you got into hunting i think that might um you know your hunting journey and history might sort of frame the projects that you're involving yourself in Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm an adult onset hunter as, as the, oh, like as the terms yeah. used nowadays. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up in a, in a fishing family. We always had our annual fishing trips and, and fish throughout the summer, um, fishing the river, all that, that sort of thing. Um, and when I moved out to the West Kootenays in 2008, um, after, after university, I was great. Um, what do I want to do? So, um, there's always a firearms course going on. So I think that was sort of the gateway into it is I, I, I got my firearms license and, and got a few guns and went out to the range. I think I always had hunting in mind, but I think I was preoccupied with, with firearms at the beginning. <laughs> um, so, and, and then, yeah, I just started, you know, trying to talk to people at work and people I knew and trying to, you know, sort of get myself invited along to, you know, you know, just a day trip out and about in the area and, and sort of learn what I could learn. Um, I think, you know, this was before the explosion of, of the hunting podcast, so to speak. And, 
and all the the real information i think things were just starting to pick up momentum then um so so yeah so i i, I just tried to you know figure it out myself for a while and i would say i was pretty casual about it um just going you know for small game and then um i got invited to uh the turkey hunt opener day uh by a, a, co- a co-worker and a friend and uh we went out and i uh, bagged my first turkey which was uh my first hunting game so dude that's and, super cool i forgot yeah, you guys so that was cool there. i want can i get an invite from you to come out and hunt turkeys in the spring a- anytime uh, anytime there, april dude. 15th is always permanently booked off in in my calendar so all right we're gonna have to talk uh, about that i could be tempted to drive out there yeah yeah there or the Okanagan's got some, but the, the Kootenays is really the, the heart of uh, turkey hunting. Oh, we've man. got turkey LEHs, so I mean, that, What's that we've, got, we've got, yeah, it's pretty serious stuff out here. Um, so yeah, so I mean, first real kind of purposeful hunt, I would say, uh, with a real plan and being successful, I was I was hooked. And, and not to mention that turkey hunting is essentially like miniature elk hunting with the, with the calling and uh i i i don't know if i could frame it any better the way that the day was it was we're, we're showing up at dark you know the, you could see our breath There's spots of snow still in the in the area it's a uh, birch forest and uh because of the temperatures and inversion there was just this mist through the forest as well so we're creeping up and the sun's just starting to to come up and uh you see the mist and then you hear that gobble oh that, dude i'm getting that, chills up my spine spring spring thunder oh. i know and it's when you first hear it you just stop dead in your tracks and and your blood starts pumping and the hair starts standing up on the back of your neck and it's yeah it was just it was just a full-on experience the whole time and i mean after you have epic. something like that and 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 it's it's a great way to get someone into hunting i know you guys don't have turkeys on the coast but my goodness um to you can usually get in a spot where you're going to hear some gobbling and i think just having that experience and and chasing them around um yeah that was it was definitely experience and and from there i was i was sold so um again i kind of took it a little bit casual going forward turkeys were definitely a thing in the spring um and then fall i really didn't know what i was doing um just walking around looking for deer um not really sure what to look for still trying to build my knowledge and and kind of link up with the right people to show me the ropes um and then around 2016 is when i started to get a little bit more serious uh 2017 i got invited to to elk camp by a friend so headed out um into the uh southeast corner of bc um in in the flathead so we're going about about 80 between 80 and 100k off the highway up logging roads so uh pretty wild place um and uh yeah did some elk hunting haven't haven't been successful yet haven't begged my first elk but again it's 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 something that'll get your blood pumping and so that i i was putting in the time there and and trying to learn more trying to do elk calling and and all that 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 sort of thing and then just really trying to understand and and glean as much knowledge as i can from uh some of the more experienced hunters that i've been spending time with um and uh yeah so the other thing that's i think complicating my journey is that i'm 
I'm being a bit of a generalist. So <laughs> I want to hunt for everything. So jack of all trades and master of none for it sure. Sounds like so me. <laughs> yeah. So I think now I'm trying to pick one or two things that I can zero in on for the year and try and practice and train whatever I need to do for that. So this year I'm going to be practicing my elk calling a lot more and try and uh, seriously get out, do some scouting as well. I think that's another big component that I think is important that I haven't always had the time to do is get out there and um, and scout and really find the, the, the habitat. How's your trail and, camera uh, game coming along? Yeah. Have you got the trail cameras out? Oh, yeah, I got trail cameras out. Those things uh, are going to be the death of me, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed that I can, I can hunt some areas five to 10 minutes from my house. So oh, I've nice. got, I've got what I call my, my track and I'll, I'll go around. I've got a couple cameras set up and there's, there, there's whitetail and bear and turkey in that area. So that's kind of my, my go-to haunt when I don't, don't have a, a lot of time to blast out for a full weekend or, or a big long trip. So, um, and, and that I think is, is another aspect is instead of going to a thousand different places and trying to look for, for an animal, I'm just focusing on one and trying to learn it really intimately. And, uh, things are really starting to, to pop out and starting to learn what's what and learning the game trails and the sign and, and, and the rubs and all that kind of stuff has been really, really interesting as well. I was just thinking that, um, you're kind of lucky that you don't have blacktail out there. Cause all my local hunting, like if I want to hunt out my back door, it's either black bear or blacktail. And those blacktail, man, they're sons of bitches. Those things are the worst. But uh, I did dabble with a little bit of elk hunting last year. Not a lot, just a little. Um, and I'm not sure if the elk are the same in your area as they are out here. But um, the elk hunting, I thought was like blacktail hunting. It was, they're very, they're very clearly there. They're just not in front of me. And I can't, I, I don't know where they are. How do they hide all these elk in this small patch of timber? But they're not there. Um, so at least you don't have that. At least white tails are probably a lot less frustrating to hunt than black tails. Yeah, they're, they're, they're around and they're different and they're somewhat predictable in terms of their behavior. But uh, the elk, the elk in the West Kootenays is a lot different than the East Kootenays. So oh, really? You could almost, yeah, well, just, just the, the ecosystems you have the the bigger open bigger open spaces in the east kootenai so you're able you are able to get up into areas and glass mm -hmm. or you'll have the timber that's much more spread out the the west kootenai's has got a lot of dense timber so um i i, I kind of laugh when i watch a lot of these these hunting shows and they're sitting up on a ridge and they're glassing miles and miles of terrain and i can't think of the only place I can do that is in goat country around yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting yeah. way up above the tree line um, to do that. Otherwise, it's just thick. Um, so they're they're in the they're thick in the bush, and you, you got to find where they are. And uh, if they get ahead of you, and they they see you, they're gone, and you're not likely to find them again. So it's uh, it's it's tough out here too. Yeah, the elk are a frustrating pursuit. Even I can say that just from my uh, short dabble. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, you said you're an adult onset hunter, as am I. And I think a lot of the people involved in BHA with us are also. Do you think there's a relationship between adult onset hunters and 
trying to get involved in conservation? Do you think there's something there? Because it just it uh, does seem very common. There's a, a I feel like when I walk into I feel like I walk into a BHA meeting. There's a lot more adult onset hunters than there is childhood hunters that have yeah hunted their whole life. Yeah, I I think so. That's that's interesting to point out. I never I never really thought about. It only that, just but... came to me today. I didn't stitch you up. I promise. This is <laughs> it only just came to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, maybe it's a it's a more holistic view. I think the people coming into it, it's they they just don't want to bag a buck. They 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 want to they want to be part of the whole picture. They want to be part of the conservation, um, caring for the habitat and the wildlife, and uh, and experiencing it and and wanting it to improve. Um, you know, B, BC is is um, our our wildlife management. Um, our numbers are not where they where they used to be, and and they can be a lot better. And uh, I would say we're we're lagging behind a lot of the um, Western states in terms of their management models and strategies, and 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 sheer wildlife numbers. I mean, it, it's very different. It's it's it is apples and oranges in a lot of senses, but um, I think funding alone is a good one where you can just if you just separate everything and just looked at funding alone, you could see that difference between us and some of the western states there's a oh there's a a, massive gap there absolutely so yeah just funding on a provincial level where we're lacking um and and we're that's what one of the things that that bc bha we're pushing is for dedicated funding um from the bc government so uh we don't have dedicated funding and most people might be surprised to know that our hunting licenses and tags um, do not go directly back into to wildlife management uh, and, and habitat. It uh, a lot of it goes back into the general for co- general coffers um, and distributed as the government sees fit. So that's um, that's unlike our fishing licenses, which all our fishing license funding gets directed to the freshwater fishery society of BC. So and into their program. So. Uh, it goes directly directly into their bank account, so um, they're able to um, provide some pretty unbelievable uh, freshwater fishing opportunities uh, throughout the province. But uh, that's something that that we want for for hunting. So um, and and dedicated uh, and allocating um, you know the money to to the management, research, law enforcement, um, and restoration efforts. So yeah. No, I think that's that's a that's a massive step forward for wildlife management in BC. Is just give them some money. Like let's actually get some money there and let's do some good stuff. I also under uh, not to step away from BHA uh, the 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 funding model there, but thinking to the adult onset hunter that is involved in conservation. I wonder if it's just it could just be as simple as the the, the people that have hunted their whole life. Um, you know, they're just doing what their dad did or their uncle did, and mm-hmm. if they sort of if they were sort of suffering in silence and you know just hunting to, hunting and keeping it to themselves, then yeah, why would they why would that get passed along? So yeah, it was just an interesting thought I had there. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I I think maybe one of the other um, maybe another idea to throw out there is I think some people are maybe on have been on the fence for a lot of their lives or, or 
didn't have the opportunity, but maybe thought, oh, hunting, maybe, maybe, yes, maybe no, I don't really know. I don't know. It seems silly to kill an animal when I can just grab a burger, um, you know, that sort of mentality. But when you kind of, when you incorporate the conservation aspect into it and, and really understand what it's all about um, and the interconnectedness, um, I think maybe that, that helps people um, take the step forward too, to realize that they're not just going out there and, and harvesting a resource that they're contributing in a much bigger way, which hunters always have. Um, so yeah, that could, that could be another, another part of it too. I know that's sort of a, a driver on my side of things too. Right. Um, yeah. I'm taking, but I want to give back as well. Yeah. I like it. That's a cool thought. Um, so why don't you rattle off some of the projects that you're you're working i know you've got a lot on your plate because i was talking to jenny the other day about some stuff and uh i was i don't know what i was bugging her about and she was she was she was pretty quick with her tongue and she goes chris by comparison to andrew you do nothing (laughs) and i was like like, yeah you're probably right (laughs) (laughs) well it's uh you know for for one thing uh i do the 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 quarterly newsletter. So I'm, I'm chasing down, uh, all our different regional leaders, uh, to find out what's going on in their area and try and make a, a clear and concise communication to our members. Uh, because one of the most common questions we have is what are you guys doing? What, what do you do? Uh, mm-hmm. what's going on and where does my money go? So, uh, to me, that's, a, that's important. Um, and, and so that, that I've taken on that communication aspect of it. And I also work with our social media uh, crew to try and get the information out there on the social media platforms as well. Um, it seems like a pretty similar model to what most uh, of the conservation organizations do. They have their newsletters, they're hitting up the Instagram and the Facebook. So we're trying to hit all the aspects of that. So uh, I'm, I guess I'm very much more a behind the scenes type of person. So taking on, uh, things like that, um, that are sort of the, uh, the, the, the background tasks, but, uh, in the West Kootenays, I've really just trying to grow in our, the awareness of VHA and, and grow the membership. Um, I've been trying to connect with the local biologists and, uh, in, in other conservation groups where we share the same values and, um, and try and get something going. And, leading up to um last year this time last year i had a lot of irons in the fire and uh then then covid hit and just kind of lost steam everybody kind of stopped and uh it was really unfortunate we had quite a few uh successful uh speaker presentation nights at uh the local brewery so uh that went well shout out to tailout brewing in uh castlegar uh, great hosts um and uh and so now uh it's kind of resetting um and and trying to to link up so uh another organization trail wildlife association has gotten some funding to do uh habitat enhancement and improvement in the lower columbia so um where i'm located we're on the we're on the shore of the the columbia river uh the the southern reach um so we've got about uh, 40 kilometers of free flowing river after the Hukini side dam in, in Castlegar down to, uh, the Lake Ro- Roosevelt 
uh, reservoir in Washington. So um, that that area is important because it's it's the the wintering habitat. It's the it's the low elevation, high value habitat, and that's where we all want to live. So um, the, the valley's packed with uh, development and, and private land. So uh, the few places that that are accessible um, to wildlife is what we want to focus on and and um, and improve. So um, what are you guys going to be doing specifically? Is it like a thinning sort of, uh, like a thinning project or what's the... Yeah, I, yeah there, there's thinning and, um, you know, overall just habitat improvement. So for example, riparian areas, um, like, you know, wrapping wrapping large cottonwoods with uh, chicken wire to prevent beavers from, from gnawing them down. Right. Um, uh, potentially some some controlled burns, uh, low intensity burning. Um, but right now the project's um, just just in the scoping stage. We're trying to, to collect all the information of what projects have have gone on. Yep. And and one of the drivers for this project is to make it a lasting, long-standing project. It's not going to be a two-year in and out and we're done um, and and hope it hope it continues on in perpetuity. It's uh, it's going to be an ongoing project, and uh, so I'm I'm excited about that, and uh, I'm hoping that in the spring uh, we'll be able to get some boots on the ground projects out there and get members involved. Um, that's the best kind of project when you can actually, when members can put their hands on something. That's when I that's when I found they really enjoy it. Um, yeah, you know, like uh, the advocacy work is great and impactful, but people want to put on their gum boots and get sore hands and hammering some fence posts you know they want to do stuff yeah yeah no ex- exactly and that's what I, re- I really want to get going so uh i'm fingers crossed that we can uh get that going in the spring um and, and another aspect too and this is i guess uh, a little bit behind the scenes as well but it, it takes a tremendous amount of work is um monitoring um for applications for industrial and commercial development um in, in the backcountry and, and on our public lands and um when we see something that uh doesn't look like it's going to be a positive contribution um we speak up and so we we, we put together uh thoughtful well-crafted letters well-researched letters and we contact our mlas our members of legislative assembly um our, our local elected politicians and then we we contact our members as well and and tell them to to speak up so um the west kootenays has a lot of backcountry development and a lot of tenure applications as well for some large backcountry developments um some ski resorts and and backcountry lodges um as well as uh commercial forestry and a lot of sensitive areas so um, we're trying to speak up for those areas um, because we don't want the provincial parks to be the only place that's protected mm-hmm. um, or at least it provides that wilderness um, experience. And uh, it, it's a tough task because uh, BC's already racked up 700,000 kilometers of roads throughout the province. So um there's there's very few areas that you can't access with a road or at least get close enough to 
So um, that's that's where we're looking at. And and also uh, another uh, one sad thing that happened, I think about 18 months ago or so, at least in my neck of the woods, is we had the uh, uh, the loss of the the uh, mountain caribou um, in the southern Selkirks. Uh, they rounded up the the rest of the remaining herd and and took them up to Revelstoke um, into into pens, um, and hopefully build that uh, that herd back up from there. But um, that was a sad thing. I I remember when I first came to the area snowshoeing up in the in the Kootenai Pass. Uh, where you could you could see caribou and following fresh tracks in the snow and wow. it was like it felt like following a ghost we knew they were there we knew they were close we didn't see them but it it felt special and uh it's sad that they're gone now they're not there um hopefully they will soon return but um what will be pivotal to their success for reintroduction is habitat um that's the main contributor to their decline. And if we don't protect that remaining habitat, if, it, if, if folks are just saying, well, the caribou are gone, let's, let's, let's have adder. Let's build a ski resort. Let's party. Yeah, that's not okay. Yeah, let's build a ski resort, yeah. clear cut it, put in a few backcountry lodges. Guess what? The caribou are not going to be coming back. So um, it, it's, it's been a challenge, I think, to uh, have that message heard. Um, there's a lot of stakeholders involved. And so um, the, the West Kootenai, along with a lot of places in BC, it's, it's complex. And so there's always that balancing act. So trying to be that voice for, for public lands and for wilderness areas. Um, we're, and we're, we're adding, we're, we're a voice that's adding. Uh, I'm not taking away from other conservation groups that have been... Um, have been voicing that concern for for years there's a lot of very active groups in our area as well um and so we're just we're just bringing that hunting and angling aspect to it um which i and as well as uh the strength we're, we're strength in numbers we've got over 1200 members in bc so we're we're bringing some some uh, you know we're bringing our voice to the table yeah. so 1200 members i know we're uh We've got a giveaway coming up for fifteen hundred, but when you think about the numbers of hunters, the amount of hunters in BC, like we gotta, we gotta, we need to reach more hunters. Yeah, definitely, um, and and we're working on that. Um, just recently, we were um, we're distributing um, Jim Posowitz's book, Beyond Fair Chase. I think I think a lot of folks um, in different regions are looking at handing them out to. Uh, the new the hunter education classes, um, especially more of the, the the younger attendees, but also anyone and and any anyone and everyone who wants wants a copy. So, um, you know, linking ourselves to the conservation and hunting ethics is is also important. Um, I don't think it's a well, it's a, it's it's always a conversation that's being had, but it's not it's not always openly being had. It's not something that people like to lead with. So. Um, I think that's also an, another aspect that's setting us apart and, uh, and bringing in new members. Right. That's sort of, along with the line of question that you were getting there, like, what are you guys doing? Um, I know we get, uh, we as in BHA, get a bit of a sideways glance for um, the pint nights and the sense of community that we try and build. 
but uh, I, tr- I try to stress to people that sense of community and that strength in numbers, um, that's incredibly powerful. You know, like if you and I have a get together and we bring two friends, you know, then those two people are going to talk about it. And they're going to come back with their two friends. And next thing you've got people outside of the meeting talking about what we're doing. Um, and especially down here in region two where, you know, voices matter. It's um, like, I think that sense of community is incredibly powerful. And I don't think it should be overlooked by the, the people looking in on BHA. Like we're not just sure we're having fun, but we're not just having fun. Like there's a, we're building a strong community of people that are going to put their hand up for us next time there's a challenge risen against us as hunters. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And, uh, those events are, are, are incredibly powerful. Um, I, I, I talk all night about BHA and about conservation issues with, with people and hearing their perspectives and, and people who don't have a perspective that just, just wandered in and want to know what this is all about. Um, I, I, I think having that exposure is, is key to how BHA has also um, it, it expanded and grew their numbers. And you, you mentioned it's a strength in numbers. It's, it's true. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, how many members you have is, is important because you are, are trying to change the minds and influence politicians. So if you're talking to them and they say, well, how many members do you have? And you say 15, well, I don't think you have their ear anymore. But if you say you have 1,200 or 1,500 um, or 2,000, um, now now they're, they're gonna listen to you. And uh, I think BHA's gotten to that point um, in BC where, where a member, stakeholder member in the Together for Wildlife Strategy and we're working to get on uh, a number of regional and provincial uh, advisory teams um, so that we can bring our perspective uh, um, to to these initiatives and, and management strategies um, all across the province. Yeah, absolutely. Stand there and tell, I stand here uh, representing 1,500 people. That's definitely going to, yeah, that resonates with somebody. So those... I remember, yeah, you mentioned the ski resorts, but there was one in particular that I remember was on your plate uh, a month or so ago, maybe more. But I, there was a big email going around about that. Um, you speak to that at all, or? Sure, yeah. There, there was a, an expression of interest, which is the the, the first stage or phase of uh, of an application for a, uh, a development. And this was for a ski resort uh, in between uh, two small towns in uh, the West Coast, between New Denver and Caslow. Um, so the area, it's a, basically an old uh, ghost mining town um, called Zincton. And um, it's, it's looking at building a, a very large ski resort, um, luxury ski resort. Uh, in some absolute wild, wild territory. It's just incredible. It, it's a, it's directly adjacent to Goat Range Provincial Park, which is a, a wilderness park. There's no trails, um, and it's some some gnarly terrain. Um, and the, this area is it's it's frequented by backcountry users. Um, it's it's a known you know ski area. Um, 
but it's it's also home to a um a population of white grizzly bear um so yeah so yeah there's the uh there's the white phase black bear on on the north coast but uh we have a extremely blonde uh essentially white grizzly bear um that exists in that area um there's a lot of grizzly bears that are in the area and in the southern interior the grizzly bear numbers are are down it's uh they're not where they used to be um we don't have the salmon runs that we used to have uh you know 70 80 100 years ago into past millennia so coming up the columbia river the kootenai river um so it's um it's a very special place and um we don't think it's ripe for the picking for a a ski resort so we've uh, voiced our concern um and we want that that area protected it's a piece of wilderness that we want to continue to be wilderness so um it, it, it's hit a little bit of the provincial media, but because of where it is, nobody really knows where it is. <laughs> it's uh, It's been a little bit quiet, but there's been some articles and I think the Narwhal and, and a few other um, uh, 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 publications. Um, but it's always controversial because the, the small towns, um, you know, some people see it's it's great. It's industry, it's jobs, mm-hmm. there's all the spinoff mm-hmm. from it. Um, but then a lot of the people who live in those towns are living there because it's a small town. And we all know what happens to small towns when a, when a ski resort sets up shop, it, it changes the town. Um, it's not going to be the same as well. So there's that whole social economic impact as well. Um, so yeah, we're, we're just voicing our concerns. We don't, we don't think it's, it's the right place and the right time. Um, and there, and there's a lot of applications out there right now in our area for expansion, uh, expansion or development of, of backcountry lodges. And, um, uh, I guess the question is what, when do we, when do we stop? You know, it's, everyone is picking a very, uh, exclusive wilderness area. And so, you know, at what point are there, there's going to be none left, um, the way it's going so either it's going to be logged or it's going to have a ski resort or a backcountry lodge um and and as much as they like to promote a light footprint <laughs> um there's just irreversible change that happens when you have these developments um to, to the wildlife and habitat so uh it's it's very hard to have an eco-friendly ski resort um, when you're taking on uh, acres and acres of of terrain and and modifying it and having people there potentially year round Mm -hmm. it's uh yeah it's it's not it's not great so there's a time and a place for everything and um yeah we're just we're just speaking up uh uh against this one so where where is that zincton application now then what happened to that one um so uh despite having uh, a majority of uh folks uh writing in with comments uh with concerns regarding uh conservation um etc um the government uh the resorts branch has invited the proponent to um, advance to a proposal stage so that's when they they really uh, get down to brass tacks and they they do all their their surveys and and uh 
biologist studies and habitat studies and and where they're going to put roads and where they're going to build buildings etc so they've been invited to uh to to have that proposal submitted so there'll be another round of uh comment open for the public mm -hmm. um and so uh we'll be there and uh we we've also looking to join a, a coalition called the wild connection so it's a it's a group of conservation um groups um that have experience in that in that area and uh we're looking to advocate for that uh that important grizzly bear habitat and and that whole corridor between new denver and, and caslow so yeah absolutely and i'm sure if there's grizzly bears there's probably everything else there as well there's probably goats and there's probably some deer and there's all oh, the good stuff absolutely yeah. yeah there's there's everything um wolverine lynx um you name it it's there um yeah, and and it's caribou habitat. Uh, the caribou might not be there right now, but they, hopefully they've been one there day before. they will be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they won't be if there's a ski resort. No, they sure as hell won't be. Have you, <laughs> have you ever tackled any of the 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 mountain species, mountain goats, mountain sheep, Andrew? I have not. Oh, buddy, but you got to get on that. Um, That's a drug. Yeah. So goats hold a special place in my heart, and that's definitely something that I've. Uh, I've been wanting to get on as, as a backcountry goat hunt. So I've, I've been putting in for tags for the last few years. Um, I did win one tag one year yeah. and unfortunately the access to the area was blocked by a wildfire. And then by the time that was all settled down, it was not going to be accessible with the, the snow on the roads, etc. So, um, unless I, I really wanted to, to hike in. <laughs> Is it all, all so, LAH goats in your region or do you have some, uh, open over the counter stuff? Um, depends how far you want to go right but uh yes there's there's a mix of both yeah so uh from where i am i don't think that there's a a general um general tag hunt that you could do in a day um unless you're extremely lucky but um yeah there's lots of opportunity in, in our area so um i'm excited to to hopefully get a tag and, and head out there um and get up into some high country so uh, i've been yeah, somewhat that's... successful on on goats maybe we should trade a uh a goat hunt for a turkey hunt that that sounds depending on your that sounds depends unreal. on your turkey success rate <laughs> you know i've 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 uh i've gotten some people onto birds so i i i think i kind of know them a little bit at this point so um and I, and I see you, I think you, you've got some goat chops as well. So yeah, perhaps we can have a, a knowledge exchange there. We should, no, we got, I'm, sure. no, I'm coming on your goat hunt. <laughs> okay. That'll work yeah, too. I'm coming yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. All right, Andrew. Hey man, it was great uh, to get you on and just to get to know you and hear about what you're doing out there and yeah, just to hear about some of the projects and how you got involved. Yeah, thank thanks for having me. It's my first uh, first podcast, so um, yeah, yeah, man, it was fun. They're, they're fun. They're just uh, you know, they're just chill. Normally, when I text people about a podcast, um, so I sort of gasp a little bit, like, "Oh, what are we gonna talk about?" And I'm like, "Man, you're an interesting guy. I just want to hear about you." You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully, I was interesting, and I and I, I guess uh, we'll be back uh, to talk about uh, successful turkey and uh, goat hunts. Yeah, I want to do that. Legit. As soon as we hang up this call, we're going to talk about that. All right, Andrew. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on, brother. Yep. Take care.